It, uh, it's good to be back in the pulpit today. Um, Josh, thank you for serving us with your gifts last week. You did a great job, and it was really, really nice for me to have a week to rest. And of course, my other favorite spot on a Sunday morning is behind the drum set, so anytime I can do that is a gift as well. So thank you for that. Um, I'm really excited about what God has in store for us today as we spend some time in his word here in just a moment. Let me set up my timer right here so I don't keep you guys late today. But uh, um, before I get going, I want to share a quick announcement, um, one more announcement. Phil Ross and I um, have been talking, and he has really just come to me and said, hey, I'd really like to get some people together uh, on a regular basis here at Skillman to pray. And so I know this may not fit your schedule, and if it doesn't, that's okay. But uh, on Tuesday mornings, we are going to meet here in the Cook Building at 745. And there's not any big agenda. We're just going to come and be together and pray together. And so I want to encourage you, if you can come uh, this week, we're going to start this week, join us. If, if this is something that you can just pop in and do once every blue moon, that's fine. We're not looking for a big commitment. We just want to let you know we're going to be meeting over here on Tuesdays at 745 to pray. If you want to come for five minutes, pray with us for five minutes and then head to work, that's cool. If you can come and stay for 1530, that's cool too. So no, no pressure, just wanted to let you know about that. Well, um, this week I was talking with, with Lee. He was actually sharing, sharing, he shared a story with us this, this Thursday morning when some of us elders were together. Um, he recently was teaching over in the children's ministry, and I think he had the three and four-year-olds. It's a class that Asa and, and Lucas Kaiser are in and, and others. And uh, he was teaching that morning on who is Jesus. And during the course of the morning, he kind of got to his big point where he taught, you know, he said, Jesus is God. Well, Lucas, his wheels were turning. And you could, you know, he could kind of see that he was processing this. And, and, he, and he asked Lee, he said, or well, he, he kind of said this, he said, you know, my daddy says that the Holy Ghost is God and the Father is God. And then he said something along the lines, that's confusing. <laughs> and then... And then he said, how? And if you ask Lee, he'll tell you that he thinks Mike set him up. Um, <laughs> but at any rate, <laughs> he's a bright kid, processing and digging. And I mean, it, whether he understands it all, he's already thinking about the Trinity at such a young age. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, and so here, here's, here's, here's the point also. Like that, the, hold that for a second. Secondly, if you want to learn about the Trinity, you can come and learn along with Lee and the other volunteers in the children's ministry. And so that's a shameless plug. I've got no problem admitting that. But uh, it's really interesting, and, it, and it's really, you know, kids sometimes say the funniest things, and, and they have questions that make us laugh. But you know what's also true in life is that many of us have questions that aren't funny at all. Like, they don't make us laugh even one bit. I mean, have you ever found yourself asking questions like, you know, why can't I ever seem to get ahead in life and become the person that I really want to be? Or have you ever asked, how can I have hope 
in a world that seems so hopeless? Or do you ever think to yourself, I'm so prone to worry and to anxiety. Where can I find peace? Or maybe you ask yourself, how can I know that my family will be okay? You see, those are all really good questions. But oftentimes it feels like they don't have answers or the answers that they do have are unsettling at best. Now, we may ask questions, good questions, that lead to unsettling answers, and that's okay. Because what I think will really help us is if we can learn to ask better questions with satisfying answers. Better questions with satisfying answers. In fact, I believe that there is a question that is the best question that actually has an all-satisfying answer. A question that has an answer so satisfying, it can meet every single need you have and fill your deepest longings. But what is that best question with an all-satisfying answer? I mean, what question can bring us an answer that it will make those unsettling answers okay. We can somehow be okay with them. That's what I want to wrestle with today as we turn to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 22. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew 22. We're going to look at verses 34 through 42 today. If you need a Bible, there's a blue one there in the back of the pew in front of you. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 42. Did I turn my mic on, guys? Okay, good. Um, As you're turning there, let me set the context for us today for where we are picking up in in this gospel. So in chapters 19 through 21, Jesus is presenting himself as Israel's king. He is offering himself to them as king. And in chapters 21 and 22, where we're going to pick up the story today, Israel, particularly their leaders, are rejecting Jesus as king. And outraged with this lack of faith and rejection rejection by Israel's leaders, Jesus starts to do some crazy things. This is where we find the story where he walks into the temple and he starts overturning tables. This is where we find where he starts teaching parables where the people that are supposed to be in the party and supposed to be in the kingdom actually don't make it. And he takes his offer from the kingdom of the kingdom from Israel and starts giving it to those who actually have faith, even sinners. Okay? So that's where we are in the development of of the passage. And today's Oh, sorry, let me back up. All of this, as you can imagine, if Jesus is walking into the table and flipping over table, uh, into the temple flipping over tables, and if he's teaching that the kingdom is going to be taken from those who think they deserve it and given to those who have faith, sinners, it's putting all of Israel's leaders on the defensive. They are now very angry with Jesus, and they're looking for ways to attack him. 
And so today's passage that we're going to read is actually the third of four confrontations that are back-to-back in this text that serve as evidence that Israel's leaders are rejecting Jesus as king. So that's what's going on. And so as we read this text today, what we're going to see is that there, there is a good question that is asked, and it, gives, it, and it leads to, and, and what it receives is an unsettling answer, and then we're going to see the best question that leads to an all-satisfying answer. So a good question with an unsettling answer, the best question with an all-satisfying answer. So before we read, I want to I pray for us, and then I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we read God's Word. So let's pray. Father, this, this passage has been stirring in my heart all week. Your goodness to me and to us, it just overflows in my heart. I pray for my friends, I pray for me that you would just continue that work, that you would reveal yourself, that you would reveal your love to us in a way that is just overwhelming. I pray that our hearts, our minds, every part of our being would encounter you in spirit and in truth today. We invite your spirit to have your way in here. If that's convicting, if that's encouraging, whatever that looks like. We don't know. We don't come with expectations. We just come inviting you to do what you will. Because we don't need to have a good intellectual time today. We don't need to just learn something. We need to be changed by you. Would you do that this morning as we pray? We trust that you will. Would you do that as we read your word? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand together as we read this. This is Matthew 22, 34. We'll pick it up in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Okay, you can take a seat. So the Pharisees have just found out that Jesus has silenced the Sadducees. And I don't want to read the whole passage, but if you're, you may be familiar, this is where you know, the Sadducees send their dude, and he goes up to Jesus and says, so there's this lady, and she's married to this dude, and then he dies, and so then she does the thing that you're supposed to do by the law, and she marries his brother, but then his brother dies, and so she marries his other brother. And so, Jesus, who's she going to be married to in heaven? And Jesus is like, you're a fool. We're not married in heaven. We're like angels. There's no need for reproduction there. Uh, so you just, I mean, you're, you've got it all backwards. And then he says, and also, God is not the God of the, the dead. He's the God of the living. He says he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he kind of flips their question over on its head, and they just kind of, you know, tuck their, 
tail between their legs and, and walk off. And then, so where we just read is following on the heels of that. So if you're a Pharisee, the Pharisees are actually, they believe, they agree in, with Jesus in, in the doctrine of the resurrection. They believe in this idea. And so at this point, if you're a Pharisee, what you should do is consider that a victory. And you should just take your ball and go home. But they don't do that. They do the foolish thing. They do the thing that I probably would have done, and they huddle up and get in a little circle, and they decide that they're going to ask Jesus a question. Wow. So what they do is they grab the smartest dude. Let's look at verse 35 again. It says, And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. So they grab the smartest dude in the, in the circle, and they send him over to ask this question, to ask Jesus a question, to test him. Okay? And I don't do this a lot, so hear me on this. The Greek word for test here is pyrazo, and that's only used of two different groups in Matthew's gospel. The first group that that's used of is the Pharisees, and it's used on a number of occasions. But the only other person in the entire Gospel of Matthew that that verb is used of is Satan in Matthew 4 when he tests Jesus, when he tempts Jesus. So what we see there is that this isn't really a question that's seeking learning. This is a question that's seeking to trap Jesus. So their goal here is that they want to reveal Jesus' lack of rabbinic training so that they can undermine his teaching and his authority, so that they can feel good about their rejection of him as king. So they're opposing Jesus to his face. The motive of their heart behind this question is bad. Okay? So look at verse 36. It says, here's the question. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now this is a good question. What is the one thing I must do to keep the law? What is the one thing I must do to keep the law? It's a good question. It's a question that many people have asked. It's probably a question that you've even asked. Like, okay, so there's so much here for me to look at as I read the Bible. What's the main thing that I'm supposed to take away? What's the main thing I'm supposed to do? That's a good question. It's a good question, but Jesus gives an unsettling answer. Look with me at verse 37. We'll look at 37 and 38. And he said to him, this is Jesus speaking, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So Jesus recites to them Deuteronomy 6. From Deuteronomy 6, the same passage that Karen read, our Old Testament reading, and it says that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Now, what I could do is we could sit around and talk about what it means to love God with your heart, what it means to love God with your mind, your soul, and so forth. But I don't think the point is to dissect this. The point is to take them all together because Jesus is saying this. He's saying the great commandment is to love God completely. Absolutely completely. The great commandment is to have an undivided love for God to devote all of yourself to him. So loving God completely is first and foremost. But that's not all. Jesus answers his question, 
and then he ups the ante. Look at verse 39. He says, a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the Pharisee asks, what is the great commandment? And Jesus responds by saying there are actually two great commandments, and they're interconnected. You should love the Lord your God with completely, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. And these are so important that in verse 40, Jesus says this, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus is teaching here that the law and the prophets, which is their way of saying the entire Old Testament, hangs on these two commandments. Okay? Listen to this quote from John Piper because I think it'll help us understand why this is so important. Piper says, Jesus is saying that love leads to and finds its expression in the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets are hanging on, they are depending on something before them. Namely, God's passion that this world, that this history of mankind be a world of love to God and radical, other-oriented love to each other. You see, the order matters because what Jesus is, is saying is really an unsettling answer. He's saying, you must keep two commands. You must love God and you love your, must love your neighbor as yourself. They asked for one command, he gives them two. And that is an unsettling answer. They don't just have one that they've got to keep, they have two that they have to keep. But that's not all. There's another reason, really the, the, the main reason why this is an unsettling answer is actually revealed in the next two verses. So let's read those. So verse 41 and 42, I, I intentionally didn't read that earlier when we were standing because I wanted us to really, really hear this. This is what, what we read in, in verse 41. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. So now he's got his own question. He said, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. Okay, when Jesus asked this question, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? We've got to dig a little bit because it's not on the surface. But as we dig, we'll see why that answer was so unsettling. So, so hang with me here. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, okay? The anointed one of God who would come and save Israel from their sins. The Christ would come and rescue and deliver humanity, okay? So in these questions, Jesus was revealing why his previous answer is so, uh, so unsettling. This is what I believe in these questions Jesus is saying to them. He says, you want to know what you must do to keep the law? You can't. You can't even love God completely. You can't love your neighbor as yourself, so you have no hope in keeping this law. You've got nothing 
when it comes to this. And the reason why this is so important, guys, is we need to drop ourselves in this story in the shoes of the Pharisees, and we need to tremble and realize that none of us are able to keep God's law. There is nobody in this room, or outside of this room for that matter, who is able to do this. We do not have what it takes to fulfill this law. And so, the Pharisees' problem, our problem, is not that we don't know what to do. Our problem is that we cannot do it. Jesus' question, in essence, flips the Pharisees' question on its head. Their question is good, but Jesus' question is the best question. You see, Jesus' question is who is going to save you from the law? Who can save you from the law? That's the best question. And by asking them, what do you think about the Christ, what Jesus is really inviting them to, what he's saying is, do you believe that I am the Messiah? Do you believe that I'm the one sent from God to save you? Do you believe that I'm the one who can rescue, her, rescue you? And what do the Pharisees say? They say, when he says, whose son is the Christ? They say, the son of David. They give the default answer. And so what they really mean, Jesus says, do you believe that I'm the Savior? No. Their, their answer is no, we don't. You are not the Savior. You are not the Messiah. You cannot save me. And so the Pharisees really, they got it wrong because what we would see if we read the rest of that passage where Jesus then goes into this discussion of quoting Psalm 110 is that he must be more than the son of David because even David calls him Lord. And so he reveals that this title son of David is, is true, but it's incomplete. There's, there's more to it. He's not just a man. He is God. And so... Jesus is saying to them, in essence, I am the Messiah. I am God. I am the one who can rescue you. I am the one who can save you. And that is why Jesus is the all-satisfying answer to this question, to the best question. You see, Jesus fulfilled the law so that you and I can be saved from the law. Jesus fulfilled the law so that we could be saved from the law. He is the all-satisfying answer to life's best question. Now, at this point, you should be kind of asking, how is that so? I mean, how is he an all-satisfying answer to this question? Well, let's remember, Jesus came, he lived a perfect life. He fulfilled the law completely. So just look at these first two that the rest of it all hangs on. Jesus loved God the Father completely. He depended on him. He trusted him without fault. And as far as loving his neighbor as himself, Jesus loved every single neighbor as himself always. And this is important. It makes a difference. This is why Jesus is all satisfying. Because 
because of, of who he is and what he's done, Jesus offers you and he offers me what your heart, what my heart truly want. He offers us the opportunity to be loved and wanted by the God of the universe. Jesus makes it possible for us to be right with God, to be accepted by God forever, even though we have no shot at ever being good enough. He makes a way for us to receive the love of God exactly as we are in all of our brokenness, in all of our shame, all of our guilt, just like we just sung about. You want to go back to those questions that I asked at the beginning. Here's the reality. You and I are never going to get our lives together. We're not ever going to get ahead. We're not ever going to become the people that we want to be on our own. But Jesus is perfect, and in him, you can be made perfect, and God will enable you to become the person you want to be, the person that he created you to be. Jesus himself is peace, and in him, you can experience a peace in his presence that will make all of your anxiety and all of your worry dissipate. He is hope, and in him you can have hope and you can bring hope to the hopeless. Jesus is love, and he loves and cares for you and your family more than you ever could or ever will. And here's the beautiful thing. Even if something horrible were to happen to you or one of your loved ones, God forbid, Jesus will be enough for you in that moment. He will be enough. He will sustain you. And Jesus is also the resurrection and the life. And you don't have to fear death. You don't have to look into the future and worry if you're going to be okay. For those of us who trust him, who respond to him as Savior by faith. The grave is not our final destination. Christ is coming back, and he will give life to our mortal bodies, and we will be raised with him and spend eternity with God in the new heavens and new earth. You see, Jesus is the all-satisfying answer to the best question. Who can save you from the law? Jesus, and only Jesus. Now, there may be some of us here this morning, you hear this sermon and you go, Jeremiah, I know this. I've heard this. This is basic gospel stuff. You know, I'm tracking with you. It's great. I, I, I believe this. There's, there's a little bit of, I don't know what word to use, but like there's something in my heart that, is concerned that there may be some of us that think of this sermon only as an evangelistic sermon. That the only way to respond to this is if you don't trust Jesus, to trust Jesus. But that's not true. Because the people that I know best, myself, my wife, my friends, those of you that I'm getting to know, 
We really struggle to believe that Jesus is our Savior right here, right now. We may trust Jesus for our past, and we may look to him to secure our future, but here in the present, we have a hard time following him and believing that he really is the only way that we can make it. Because what happens is we come to Christ, and most of us trade in this this salvation by grace through faith card. We go lay that down on a table, and then we just strap on a backpack of a bunch of works-based sanctification, and we go get, get get, get busy trying to do all this stuff. We think that the way that we're going to be saved and made holy is by doing a bunch of religious activity, like going to church, reading your Bible, praying, having Christian community. And all of those things are great, but none of those things is our Savior. We don't place our faith in these acts that we do. The acts are hopefully an attempt to place our faith in Jesus. But we sometimes get those wires crossed. And so my prayer today, my hope today, is that we would realize that there is nothing we will ever be able to do that will make us right with God. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are declared right by him forever. He sees you as spotless, as righteous, just like he sees his son. And so now the opportunity and the invitation is to fix our eyes on Jesus and to follow him and to allow the spirit to make us like him. Because when we fix our eyes on Jesus and we follow him, you know what happens? All of a sudden, he gives his life, his righteousness to us in such a way that we start loving God completely and loving our neighbor as ourself without even like fixating on all these spiritual disciplines and trying to do it on our own. We don't want to put the cart before the horse. All of salvation, justification, sanctification, glorification, all of it is by grace through faith in Jesus as the only Savior. This Bible is not your Savior. This church is not your Savior. They are tools that God has given you to place your faith in Jesus. Let's remember that. Let's not forget that. So the invitation today, it's it's really simple. Friends, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be people who just ask a good question because all you're going to get is an unsettling answer. Ask the best question and receive Jesus as the all-satisfying answer. Don't be like the Pharisees and when Jesus asks the best question to you, you reject him as Savior and you reject his all-satisfying nature and what he's done for you. Receive him in humility, wherever you are today, whether you've trusted in him in, in the past or not. Maybe you've never done that. Regardless, let's come back to a place where we realize we've got nothing in ourselves and we need him more than we ever know. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words because they reveal to us who you are. We thank you that we have a record of the life-giving words of the word himself, our Savior Jesus. My prayer is that every single one of us in this room today would come to a place where we realize that we've got nothing that will never be good enough. I pray that we would place our faith, that we would truly trust Jesus, that we would really believe and we would practically live as though he is our only hope. 
God, we need grace to do that. We're going to continually, like a dog returns to its vomit, go back to our works-based approach to this. Would you rescue us from even our faulty attempts at following you? We need you. Thank you that you love us so much. Thank you that we don't have to try to love you completely or try to love our neighbor as ourself, but that you have done that for us in Christ and that he will give his life and righteousness to us as we follow him and that he will love you completely through us and he will love our neighbors as ourselves. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.